When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss. No more shame. No more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Worst Girl Gang Ever. Today we are joined in our virtual studio by Roz. Um, Roz, welcome. Thank you. Lovely to see you. Um, you, you've listened to the podcast before and you are a long-standing gang member. Um, that sounds pretty hardcore, doesn't it? Gang member. Yeah, yes. I just thought, uh, and, and when you said that, I was just like, wow, gang member. I don't think we've, <laughs> I don't think we've gone there before. But yeah, I mean, it does what it says on the tin, right? I think you contacted us back at the beginning of the year. Um, and um, for one reason or another... It's now the end of the year, but we finally get to meet you and get to hear a bit about your story. So why don't you start us off at the very beginning? Um, yeah. Where, where did it all begin? So, yeah, so we've been we've been at this for about four years. Um, so as these things often start, met my lovely husband, got married, decided let's have babies, you know, mm. in the usual way. Um, and after about a year of trying, we got that lovely big fat positive. Uh, we're on the way. And then I had what I have started to think of as my sort of bog standard miscarriage. Uh, sort of about seven weeks started bleeding and just didn't stop. Um, by the time I got to a scan, there was nothing to see. I, I had definitely miscarried, certainly. With experience now, I know I went through a mini labour. Um, you know, that was the cramping, that riding it out. Uh, something came out, we went to a and &E. I was optimistic and so didn't keep the tissue. And what I know now is the baby. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, obviously crushed and so sad, but a fairly normal experience i mean when you say bog standard that's the, what you've just described is how everyone imagines a miscarriage to be don't they um when we think about miscarriage we think about bleeding and pain and passing it all um and then but you know as we all know now there are so many other different types of loss yeah that's the thing and it's absolutely not to denigrate anyone else's experience mm. that was sort of a, a classic um, yeah. genre as it were and so after that we got back to trying um and didn't didn't take as long that time about four or five months and I was pregnant again um and every 
thing. Did people say to you, um, try again straight away? You're most fertile after a miscarriage. One health professional, yeah, I think so. Okay. It's, yeah, the, this thing, I mean, I didn't know that many people who'd had miscarriages. So certainly it helped seeking out other people's stories and that, but I, I didn't have that many people in my life who I could turn to and say, what happened to you and that. Um, but yeah, so I got pregnant again. Everything seemed absolutely fine. I'm sailing through um, uh, good scans. Everything seemed really normal. Um, everything was normal until we got to 31 week appointment and they just couldn't find the heartbeat. And so we went from my GP surgery to the local birth unit to the hospital and confirmed in a really quick ultrasound that I just couldn't look at that. Fortunately, that baby had died as well. Oh, Ross, I'm so sorry. And that was just like a, a routine appointment. You hadn't. It was. That's the thing. I had anterior placenta, so mm. I never really felt that much. And I, I was naive. I didn't really know. I didn't know enough. I wasn't, I hadn't noticed a huge drop off in movement. I, I was a little bit concerned maybe, but you just, you just don't know. Mm. Um, so yeah, completely routine. And, and yeah, we, we had lost him. Uh, at that point, we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, um, sort of keeping a surprise. And uh, yeah, so I went back for my induction um obviously very difficult experience very painful um and gave birth to my to my son sam and have some time with him uh my mum came down to meet him which was lovely and left the hospital with a box i'm so sorry yeah um i mean had they once once they knew that we'd lost the baby they took you know a quart of blood and off the back of that absolutely nothing found nothing wrong with him nothing wrong with me um just no answers i mean they they did prepare us and say it's about 50 50 chance that they would find something um and they didn't so lost that coin flip did you have have you had answers since then or was that literally that was it that was it. That's the thing, because I so we're on the second of four losses and I've never had any answers for any of them. I mean, not for um, lack of looking, I, I suppose. I haven't done any private testing, so I don't know if anything might have been found off the back of that. But I, I suppose the thing of having different losses is that we even at that stage, we knew I could carry a pregnancy out of the first trimester, which can be this huge hurdle and I mean, is a huge hurdle. Um, so, so this thing, we knew that it wasn't something that would stop every single pregnancy at an early stage. Mm, yeah. When there's no pattern, it's difficult to, to work it out, isn't it? It could be different reasons for all of them. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, you just, you take the comfort wherever you can find it. And it does seem that whatever happened to Sam was really quick because when he came out, you know, the, his skin was coming away a little bit, which they prepared us for. And I mean, he was gorgeous. Of course, he was. He's my little boy. 
Um, but yeah, so his condition was such that it must have been really quick. He wouldn't have been in there long mm. without us knowing that he was gone. Have you, how do you, how, have you done any work around kind of accepting that? Because that, I mean, to have, to have a stillborn baby is absolutely, obviously completely devastating, but to not know why it happened, there must have left such a, a gap in your understanding and a real difficulty in accepting that. Yeah, it was, it was very hard and it still is. It's, yeah, doesn't, doesn't just go away. Yeah. I mean, I've done done lots of counselling, which I recommend for anyone, um, it, any reason really, but especially when you've, when you've gone through baby loss, I think counselling is a really good, good thing to do uh, if you can access it. Um, and there is that guilt, you know, would things have, I think I've come to accept that even if we had gone in, for reduced movement, I don't think we could have saved him, but I'd feel better about it. It's, mm. it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to to come to, but it just there's no way to know what happened. I think that's. I imagine it's really tough moving forward to try again as well when you don't have any answers. You're literally throwing yourself back in, not knowing if it can happen again. It's, it's yeah it's, it's really hard and in a way we'd sort of done quite a lot of soul searching after the miscarriage so in some ways it was a little bit easier to decide to try again after Sam in fact I mean I remember in that moment of knowing he was gone there was of course all this awful grief and absolutely shattered but also at the back of my mind the sort of oh we've got to try again mm. yeah yeah, that yeah, that's not fun, is it? No, <laughs> isn't it? Trying to us is awful, and none of this is great. No. How long did you wait until you started trying again? Oh, I, I read in your your email that you sent us. You said um, you got what you'd always wished for, your maternity leave, but not in the way yeah. that you'd you'd imagined it. So I mean, that's the thing. I I write. Um, and so I'd sort of always thought, oh, you know, maybe on maternity leave, I'll lots of lots of time to write, because obviously taking care of a baby doesn't take up any time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd sort of always had that fantasy of of time off to write, and I did. Um, and then after the miscarriage, I'd started doing some writing um, about the experience, just as a way to process as much as anything else. And then after we'd lost Sam. I had all this time on my hands. I took six months off because could have had the year. Uh, that felt like too much. Just didn't have the baby. And you have that amount of time that's just unpaid. So it, it didn't make sense. But I, I did have all this time to to do that, to write. Um, so I was slowly putting together this book that um, I did eventually publish. Um yeah, so we we had his post-mortem follow-up and nothing had been found. Uh, the consultant did sort of say, mm, maybe think about waiting a year. I argued her down to six months. Um, 
I mean, she did say some people turn up to this appointment already pregnant. So it, it, there's a complete range in how people respond. Um, but yeah, she, we waited six months. Did, sorry, did she suggest you waited a year physic for physically or for your emotional health? I think it was physical. Yeah, I mean, a combination of both, I think. I mean, she did say there was sort of a little uh risk of early loss i i don't know how based on actual evidence that is i, I don't mm. think have evidence for any of this there, there aren't that many studies um yeah and, and of course there's the emotional aspect as well mm. so did you start trying again started trying six again. months uh yeah about let's think so we lost him in the july um and yeah it was, it was about six months we started trying again in the new year and that it happened quite quickly that time three months I tested early which can work can not it was a chemical that line just never got any darker um I know some people don't like the term chemical pregnancy certainly for me it's a helpful distinction, but that's, that's the thing. All my losses have been different. So for me, it's a way of sort of singling them out mm. and making them distinct in their own way. It was a weird one, that one, because I... In terms of um, your... Because you obviously you just had lost Sam mm. and then to have su two such difficult experiences, what did you find the differences were when you struggled with a, such an early loss following such a late loss? It was It was really hard, especially as... I, I had a little bit of morning sickness, which is ridiculous. I was four weeks, if that. Um, but the thing, I had symptoms, so I was sort of clinging on to that. But, yeah, it just, it, it wasn't going anywhere. I, I was testing, trying not to test every day. But, I, yeah, so that one just didn't stick. Um, and did you feel, did that trigger in you, the, the grief again and the and the loss of your first two two losses it, it did a bit I mean this thing it's it's sort of cumulative at that point because it's it's not the same as starting from zero in that you've already had these experiences there is the the slight comfort of knowing you can get pregnant but then what difference does it make if you can't take the baby yeah exactly Laura uh, yeah, kind of thing that you're allowed to think yourself, but if anyone else says it, you'll then come to blows. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I know it, it was it was really hard. It was very going from two to three losses felt really seismic. It was, I, I think that was the thing I struggled with the most. Sort of the the, the curve was off. Um, We've made it to seven weeks, then we made it to 31, and now I can't make it past four. That's That was very hard. Um, but off the back of that, there was sort of no reason not to try the next cycle, um, which I didn't think had worked, because on, on the day my period was due, negative test, I had what seemed like a period. Um, then a, a couple of weeks later, I had some brown spotting, which we we all know too much. We know is not a great sign. Um, that one was ectopic. 
So, the warriorship, we wanted to come and tell you a little bit about it, didn't we, Bex? And in case you're already going, why? We don't want to know about a fucking ship. The warriorship is our online membership for warriors in this community. It's packed full of stuff. So we just want to tell you about some of the stuff. All of the content from all of the courses that we ever run is in the warriorship. So there's loads to get your teeth into. And we are also developing modules for what happens after. But not only that, we've also got a ton of educational workshops running once a month. In the coming months, we have got body positivity workshop, gratitude workshop, and loads, loads, loads more. And on top of that, we also have a resident mental health specialist. And on top of that, if if that wasn't enough, there's 13 events every month. And there's stuff popping up all the time as well that other people are organising that you can be a part of. So it really is thriving. And all you have to do is head to the link in our bio or visit our website and you can be a part of this too. We'd love to see you there. Oh gosh, how did you find out it was ectopic? Was it a scan or did you get symptoms? Um, So it was that brown spotting. And so I got in touch with my GP and about three times in the the online form it said, could you be pregnant? Well, no, obviously I'm not pregnant. I'll take a test just to rule that out. Oh, that's a very strong line. I'm pregnant. And this thing it was about three days I had to wait for a scan for that one and you just go through the hope but also this doesn't seem quite right Mm. because that test was definitely negative on the day my period was due I had a bleed um and then you walk into that scan just about convinced maybe this is okay maybe it's all right and it wasn't quite conclusive. There definitely wasn't anything in the uterus. There was a tiny little something hanging out next to my left ovary, which we now know is that was the baby. Um, so yeah, that was a case of with ectopic, as I know you know, there's the the different things you can do. You can watch and wait, you can have the shot, you can have surgery. I ended up having all three. Oh gosh, why? <laughs> How did that happen? Well, I think so. We we did watch and wait because my HCG was quite nice and low. Um, so I came back for some blood draws and definitely was trending upwards. Um, not in a hugely dangerous way. And so it was decided, yeah, okay, you need methotrexate shot. Fine, done. And then I definitely had I had miscarried um I I I know what a miscarriage feels like it it did it was very reminiscent of the first um that I'm very keen always to stress this I do not blame the doctors at all for what happened I got checked you know they they checked my tummy there was no pain I it had clearly worked my HCG was dropping but then I just woke up the next day in a lot of pain and on the way out, my tube ruptured. Wow. me. Yeah. So emergency surgery, tube down. Gosh. Oh, man. We speak, when we speak to people who've had ectopic pregnancies, you know, <clears throat> obviously it's slightly different in your case because you didn't know you were pregnant before you discovered that you, you had had an ectopic, but they go from, they really struggle with the fact they go from expecting a baby to then 
having a sort of a real possibly difficult future infertility because they've had a tube removed and is that something that you struggled to get your head around after everything that you've been through on you know underneath that it it, it was difficult I think certainly that experience was one of the roughest on my husband because obviously right. watch this other person in in this much pain and I think that that was definitely the first time we really felt that my life was in danger because of what had happened. And yeah, the reduction in fertility was hard. Again, it's sort of all all of this stuff that had happened until then proved I could definitely get pregnant. Um, Facing, losing the tube was really hard. did they tell you about the the magic tube that moves around? Yeah, yeah, really weird. It's amazing, right? So for anyone who's listening who doesn't know the magic trick, your body is amazing because if it only has one tube, what it does is it goes, it moves and goes to the ovary where the ovulation is happening. So when I had my son, who was the pregnancy after my ectopic, and they said to me, oh, we can see that you're... Um, the, I can't remember what word they used for it, but they could see where the egg, they said the egg had come from the left ovary. And I was like, <laughs> no, I've had my left tube removed. It's so crazy. I this. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. My right tube had gone to my my left ovary to to pick up the egg. Is that in, so my, clever. in, my, in my mind, I see it as like a little elephant. Oh, do like, you? What with the egg? Yeah with its trunk just going <laughs> and going back and I think oh that's so cute little uh, elephant in your in your system yeah I just think it's amazing it's amazing they didn't tell me that like I say I found out in my next pregnancy but um yeah it's 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 such a scary thought thinking that your fertility is being compromised by 50 percent. I actually thought <laughs> that I couldn't get pregnant every month and that it would be every other month I don't know. There's no logic or anything behind that. No, no science. But yeah, I think they should tell everybody when they, they have a tube out. Sense thinking that. Mm. Why wouldn't you? Mm. Yeah. So after, so you had the emergency surgery, and then you know, what were your feelings surrounding that when you sort of started to recover from that? Were you like, right, let's go again, or were you like, right, I need a break, I can't do this? Well, I had to wait the three months anyway because I'd had the oh. shot. And even after surgery, they um, definitely recommend that you wait at least three months. And I I needed, well, it it took me about a month to get back to quote unquote normal. Um, Things like I I couldn't walk the dog. We've got a a German Shepherd. She's very keen. (laughs) So Mm. certainly I couldn't take her out for a little bit. Um, So yeah, it was, it was very hard again. Um, but after that three months, we got back to it, and I am currently the most pregnant I've ever been. Oh, wonderful! How far along are you now? Thirty-six weeks. Hey, get oh, it out. Give me. Is that how you feel at the moment? I remember feeling like that. Absolutely. Twenty-four weeks. I said, take it out. <laughs> I'm counting, counting the days until my induction. So you being? Have you got a planned planned induction? Yeah. That, that's the plan. Uh, hopefully, doing birth planning with the bereavement midwife later today, which is exciting. Yeah. And how has the pregnancy been? Physically fine. Right. Emotionally, all over the place. Yeah. I've had oh, yeah. 
Well, listen, because after the ectopic, I was referred to recurrent miscarriage. They they didn't actually do anything extra just because I'd already had all the tests after Sam. They they reran a few just to check for like diabetes and that. But it was more just we chatted through my history. Um, and just <laughs> reiterated that there there doesn't seem to be any reason for there's no, there's no pattern so there's no obvious underlying cause and um but yeah having been referred to recurrent miscarriage meant that I got um early scans so because I've had an ectopic had to have that scan at six weeks just to check they're in the right place we got a heartbeat which I was trying not to expect because I know it can be too early at six weeks but they were in there pumping away and then I got scans at eight, 10 and then 12 mm-hmm. and really had to wait ages until 20 weeks for the next one. How uh, did it feel approaching 31 weeks? Awful. Yeah. awful. It was really hard. They offered me an extra scan, uh, the, the growth scan that they normally do at 32 weeks. They did it at 30 just to just to put some peace of mind and I have lost count of the number of times I've been in with reduced movement everything has always been absolutely fine but it's that case of you're not quite sure you go in which every single midwife has been very supportive of which is great Mm, that's good to hear and it's good for other people to to hear that that's um that that's happening because I think people can be put off going because they think they're you know, going to be a burden or us. But you know, in my experience as well, I've never ever been made to feel like I shouldn't have been there. No, and I will always encourage people if if you're ever not sure, just go in. And... The thing is, I think with that is we often we feel, as Laura said, you know, you feel like you're being a burden, but you feel silly as well because you can feel or worry about feeling silly. But also, even if Worst, like worst case in terms of um, the way you're treated. Like if you go in there and you're treated like a bit of a neurotic person, and then you get scanned and everything's fine, or you get scanned and there's a slight problem, or you know any sort of eventualities. Like who gives a shit how you're treated? Exactly. That's the thing. I felt if you put someone on their on their off day at their job where they've had, I don't know what for whatever reason they've got stuff going on at home or whatever, and they treat you like you're neurotic and like you shouldn't be there fuck it, doesn't matter. You should be there because you feel like something's gone wrong or you feel like worried and you feel like your mental health is just as important as your physical health during your pregnancy. And if that's going to alleviate some of your anxiety and some of your worries, and it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of you going in there, just ignore them. Just ignore ignore all of that shit. Go in there, get get what you need done, done, and come out again because, you know, fuck them. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing I often get my husband to phone ahead because I just don't want to cry on the phone. Mm. yeah um but yeah everyone's and what I've done which I advocate for anyone I've put a big sticker on the front of my notes that just says pregnant after miscarriage stillbirth chemical ectopic oh, you've done that yeah I I really recommend doing that That's a really um, good idea one thing I will say I if I could have done I'd have made it bigger and just added like signed by the patient at the bottom because I have had a couple of people ask did you do that or did a midwife do that and it's it's to each their own because there is a butterfly sticker that they put on the front, but it's just not specific. Hmm. The, the butterfly just saying pregnancy after loss, but it could be after any miscarriage. It could be after. Yeah. It, it's just 
They do the butterfly in my trust, but it's only for people who've lost after 24 weeks. Right. I mean, maybe it's the same as mine. Mm, Yeah, they didn't. I mean, they didn't do anything like that for me. But then I had, you know, an early loss. But I think that's a really nice idea because even when I went for my for my 12 week scan during my um, or it was like a 10 or eight, no, eight week scan during my pregnancy after loss. I emailed them ahead to tell them what would happen because I was like, the last thing I need is to be treated like someone who is just there because they're excited. And the last thing I need is to be explained mm. in, that, in that dark, close, scary, noisy, but not noisy environment is to be going, oh, I have already, you know, I'm I'm hyperventilating in the, wa- ventilating in the waiting room because this that, and that. I just didn't want to deal with any of that. So it's- I that's a really good idea to have that indication of because it doesn't matter when you've lost a baby, if you have lost a baby, then all of your scans during a subsequent pregnancy will be a stressful and an anxiety-ridden experience. Hmm. And the thing I've had a sonographer say, thank you for doing that. It's really helpful. It just, not everyone looks at the front, but it's it's something I can do. And I'm sufficiently used to rattling off my story that I don't always mind, but sometimes you're just not in the mood. No. Yeah. I think that's a really good idea. So tell us about your book that you finished and had published. Yeah, so there are obviously lots of amazing books out there on, on pregnancy loss, not to mention yours, of course. <laughs> and, I mean, books like Al Wright's, um, Ask Me His Name and Bump in the Road, they're, they're brilliant. And they, I think, our stories are so powerful and they they help people know that they're not alone and they can make all the difference but what I really struggled to find was fiction there's or or sometimes miscarriage storylines pop up and it's sort of well we're on to the next plot point or you know by the end of the book oh yeah she's got her baby she's fine and you know when you're when you're treading water in this grief you you want to find yourself represented in what you're reading or or you really don't and you want to seek out anything else but given that I write it's one of the ways I process things uh so I after my first miscarriage started working I took loads of notes and started working on a book about miscarriage uh where a character very like me goes through a miscarriage and what happens next and um, how they process. Certainly I stopped working on that when I got pregnant again. And then, yeah, I had all this time on maternity leave to work on this stuff. I mean, weirdly, I had a character. um, So I, I found out at a family funeral of a family member who'd had a miscarriage and a stillbirth and I never knew. And I knew that she'd had that. I I just knew that she didn't have any living children. So I'd sort of toyed around with the idea of having someone who'd had these experiences talking to my main character, but it was difficult to write that scene. And then once we'd lost Sam, it all started flowing. So it was it was just weird how that had already figured in in the plot. And then I mm had the experience and um, so yeah so I, I put together a first draft which was very it wasn't great it it was 
just a bit tangled and then didn't really have a plot. So when I started sending it out to people, there wasn't much interest. But then I got in touch with an editor um, with a view to self-publish. And we have put together this story that I'm very proud of. And I I, I think it's good. <laughs> um, I've been rubbish at promoting it because heavily pregnant now. So it's I'm not really in the right headspace. Um, but I wanted to get it out there. So I um, published it back in August. What's uh, it called? It's called Phantoms. Have, happen to have a copy right here. Uh, ah. the, no, shouldn't, shouldn't cover up my name. Uh, but yes, very, very proud of that. There's, it, it's mainly about early miscarriage, and certainly that is the experience of, of the main character. But certainly touches on stillbirth, touches on infertility. Um, there's another character who does have a baby and um, experiences postpartum depression. So there's 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 a lot of different things going on, but it is it's a coherent story, which cannot be said of the first draft. But I don't know <laughs> it can be said of any first draft. But yes, I am. I I published a book. And where can people find it? Um, online. It's it's available in uh, ebook and paperback. It's on Amazon. It's um, if you search for it, you should be able to find it. I can uh, send out links. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes. Brilliant. And has it? Would you say that writing the book has been a cathartic experience? I know you said that you haven't felt able to connect with it properly while you've been pregnant for you know t- uh, totally understandable reasons. But have you felt healing through writing? Definitely, and it it was. It was nice to to use the experience yeah. uh, in a way that I, it's my it's hopefully my way of giving back to this community, which sounds a bit sappy, but you, know, you yeah. guys have the podcast and you've done your book. This is what I could do, and it, it was something that I felt I needed after that first miscarriage, and I couldn't really find. So, so yeah, it was it was cathartic, and also my way of putting something out there that was a bit different because in, in a lot of these as I say you get to the end and the they're pregnant or uh, they've got their baby and that's just not everyone's experience mm. I say this heavily pregnant <laughs> knowing that um but you're right it's not it's not and um to to have your story represented when you're when you're reading books is well all the time having your story represented seeing yourself in in someone else's story is so important I think also it's it's amazing um I'm reading a book at the moment called Little Fires Everywhere and there's a bit it's a bit on trigger warning for everyone there's a lot of baby kind of related stuff but it's um it's so interesting to me to read books that have that post loss because it's really obvious that that the women that have experienced it or I feel like they've either done a lot of research and spoken to women who have had loss or they've experienced themselves by the way they write because you can connect mm. in a completely different way like obviously it's it's always going to be sad whether you've experienced loss or, or or not but when you have and you read the words chosen by obviously an author someone who knows how to write it's really it can be it can really connect you to to that narrative and that story and I think that's 
does such a good job of making you feel less isolated in your grief. Even if it is a work of fiction, it still has that base of, of knowledge and, and that emotional feeling, which is so important. Definitely. You can you can definitely tell when it's done well. And yeah, yeah. it's everywhere. It's great. Brilliant book. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us. And obviously, we wish you all the best in um, in the next few weeks. Please do let us know how you're getting on and keep in touch. Yeah, do keep in touch. By the time this goes out, hopefully, well, yeah, it will be more than four weeks away. So I'm assuming you will have had your induction by then. So, <laughs> yeah, do let us know. We'll do. All right. All the best. Take okay. care of yourself. Good luck with the book as well. I hope that continues. Thank you. Yes. I'm trying to do some actual promotion now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All Hopefully right. this will help with that. Go and buy the book, girls. Go buy <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rod. Bye. Take care. Bye. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.